this morning. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Hallelujah. You're a walking, talking wind. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Somebody says that needs to be a win, win, win. Well, if three believers are there, you got a win, win, win. Amen. Amen. We're walking the victory of Jesus. I love that song where it says, you know what? He's equipped us or, or caused us, that song champion, to carry his victory. Man, that is just so awesome. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we uh, have this uh, privilege and an honor. You know, as the church grows, as families grow, one of our core values uh, here at New Creation Church is family and uh, church family, uh, collectively with the family, helping the family grow and, and uh, in the things of God. And so every time that, you know, uh, we get to acknowledge that in any way, <clears throat> we're glad and so thrilled to do that. And one of the ways that we do that as a body, sometimes, you know, uh, 4th of July weekend, we'll be doing baptisms and uh, sometimes families come to be baptized, children, adults. Uh, but another way that we do that is when we have baby dedication and uh, it's so wonderful when we can dedicate our children to the Lord. The Bible says that our children are a gift from God. They're a heritage from the Lord. You know, we can just go through, excuse me. I have this mint. Here you go, Jerry. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. I thought I could get by without that rolling around and coming out, but <clears throat> it didn't. Anyway, uh, we, we can get to the place where, you know, we just meet somebody, uh, fall in love, have kids, and, and go about, and then just like, oh, man, these kids are so frustrating. But kids are a blessing from God. And they're the heritage. The Bible says in Psalms 127, sons are a heritage from God. And so we're so blessed in God's plan for, for family and for legacy. And so and when we do a baby dedication, it really just spans and there's generations that are actually involved because of that legacy and, and families that come and are connected together. And so as we see that and we understand that, we, we bring the children to the Lord, one, to dedicate them uh, as God told Jeremiah, before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Praise the Lord. There's a good argument against abortion. <clears throat> Before you were ever born, God knew you, called you, and appointed you. Come on now, church. Just stop for a minute. Don't let culture cause us to be nervous. <laughs> we can say that. We can say it's wrong. It's okay. And you don't have to get nervous. Praise the Lord. God's called us. He's appointed us. Uh, to be a light in a dark place. And so our children, he said, before you were ever born, uh, I knew you. I called you to be a prophet to the nations. Man, just think if that was stopped, where we'd be without Jeremiah. Amen. And so our children are a blessing from God. They already have a call uh, upon our life. So when we dedicate them, we're dedicating them to the Lord, uh, knowing that. So Hannah, you know, she, she uh, was calling out to God for a child. And God came to her in her weeping and, and said he would give her a child, gave her Samuel. And so she came back. This is a, an extreme place. She came back and dedicated Samuel to the Lord to such a degree as a prophet. He lived with the, the, the priest and developed his whole life 
as a prophet of God. But then we also see there in the book of Luke chapter 2, it says that they brought Jesus himself to the temple uh, to be dedicated to the Lord as uh, the custom was. And so even Jesus was dedicated uh, to the Lord. And so we realize that really they're born. God has his hand upon our children from the beginning. He brought them as a heritage. And so uh, we dedicate them to that very plan and purpose. But we're also, parents are dedicating themselves really to learn and to understand. Every child is different. They have a different gifting, uh, many different callings. So you raise them uh, under certain foundational truths, but each one then has a unique bent. And the Bible tells us that we raise our children according to their bent, or we raise them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And so in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting verse 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today uh, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Praise the Lord. So he said, as parents, we uh, uh, raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How do we do that? Uh, we talk about the Word of God. We talk about the Word of God when we sit in the house. We talk about the Word of God when we're out on the playground. We talk about the Word of God when they come home from school. In other words, we as parents dedicate ourselves to talk about the things of God, not just at church, but every day. When we get to interact with our children, we talk about the things of God. We go on a walk. We can talk about the things of God, what he created, all that. And so in a baby dedication, we realize that they're gifts from God. Not only are they gifts from God, but they have gifts on the inside of them ordained of God. That as they grow older, those gifts grow and they flourish, and then they're able to be used. And then also the parents are dedicating themselves to one, finding the wisdom of God, to find that direction of the gift and the calling. They're raising them and teaching them the word of God so that they'll know what God has said about them as they grow older. Amen? And so in the dedication, we're not just seeing the baby, but the parents are involved, the families are involved, the grandparents are involved, the church family's involved as we participate, pray for one another, help one another uh, involved in our children as they grow in the very things of God. And so we're going to dedicate Annabelle Rose to the Lord this morning. Uh, Rocky and Maverick would come and Kimmy, praise the Lord. Cousins. Hi, sweetie. Are you going to let me hold you? Yeah. Are you going to let me hold you? Praise the Lord. Look at you. You're a sweetie, aren't you? Look at these folks out here. They all came to participate and pray with you. How's that? Is that a good thing? Why don't you all stand up? Stretch your hands out here. All right, you ready to pray? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God, we just thank you for your divine plan. What a great plan you set forth from the very beginning. What a great plan you have for Annabelle. You see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. God, you have a plan for her life. And today, Rocky and Kimmy, dedicate her to that plan. God, that your spirit would move in her heart, guide and direct her, strengthen her for every day of her life. 
God, as she begins to grow, as they minister the word to her as mom and dad, as they speak of the things of God, they speak of the things of Jesus, Holy Spirit, you begin to make them alive in her heart. That she grows knowing how much you love her, that you have a plan for her life, that you have gifts and callings that you've bestowed upon her, that as she grows up, that she will be a light to her generation, that she'll have a voice amongst her friends, her peers, a voice that speaks with clarity and knowledge of who you are and what you came to do in their life. I thank you, Father. Her compassion will be overwhelming. Her wisdom will be beyond her years. And I thank you. Her strength will be known by those around her. We thank you, Father, for bestowing upon her the gifts. We dedicate her to those things, even today, that she would rise up, enjoy her life to the full, knowing she has a relationship with her God and her Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for Rocky and Kimmy. We thank you that they have wisdom concerning those bents, those gifts, the direction for her life. They raise her according to that, God. They see things and know things, otherwise they'd not know, but you show them to them so that they can know Annabelle like never before. They can know the course that they have and raise her according to that bent so as she grows older and older, she'll not depart from it walking at all the days of her life. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless the baby girl. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Congratulations. Thank you. Come on. There you go. There you go. Praise the Lord. Here you go. What's in that? It's a present for you. Praise the Lord. All right, why don't you be seated? Open your Bibles with me to Psalms 46. And we're going to start a new series uh, this morning that I have entitled, God Help Me. God Help Me. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And so we... Uh, have entitled that for a reason. I'm, I'm excited about it. I believe that it's going to help us in, in so many ways. And so, uh, you know, <clears throat> as we talk about uh, God help us, let's just look at this scripture. Uh, Psalms uh, 46. And um, we're going to start here in verse 1. <clears throat> it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Somebody say present help in trouble. Say it again, present help in trouble. It says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. The Passion says it like this, God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time of trouble. Somebody say proven help. Praise the Lord. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. So we never fear. Even if every structure of support were to crumble away, we will not fear. Even when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Pause in his presence. Father, we just thank you today for your word. We approach it as, is, as it is in truth, the holy written word of God. 
you're speaking to us through your word to illuminate us, to bring revelation, to bring understanding, and to bring knowledge. We thank you, Lord, for that which you've promised, that the Holy Spirit today will reveal things to us of the truth that knowledge might come. For Jesus said, if we'd know the truth, the truth would make us free. So we look to gain knowledge of the truth, thereby gaining liberty and freedom in the areas of our life where we have been stuck or we've been bound. I thank you for your presence here today. You know every single situation of life. You know every hurt. You know every wound. You know every challenge. You know every obstacle in life. So I thank you. You minister to every heart. You minister to every life. You make it your word alive to us. Bringing about change, direction, strength. That we might fulfill that which you've called us to do in this day in our generation, that even as we grow and understand that which you're doing, you cause us to be lights in the world. I thank you for divine appointments taking place, that you're setting things up even right now, making appointments and dispatching people in the body of Christ, dispatching them to be lights in the midst of darkness. Give us the revelation that we always shine with your light of life, and the darkness can never overmaster the light that we bring, that we might see that victory of the overwhelming light of your presence. We thank you for it. We praise you for everything you'll do in every heart and life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, you know, in looking at this uh, uh, and, and talking about some things here, you know, many of us have had obstacles in life. Anybody had an obstacle in life? And so many times I've heard this, certainly have thought this in my mind. I don't think anybody's exempt from this. You've gone through a difficult challenge. And, and even if you don't reside or you, you don't stay on that thought for very long, you're wondering sometimes as you begin to struggle, as you begin to move, as you hope something happens instantly and it takes time, you begin to ask this question, where is God? God, where are you? I need some help right now. And where are you right now at this time? And so really, in the time that we are in, if we understand the days that we live in, and certainly we believe by the signs of the time, we live in the last of the last days. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 1, Paul said, in the last of the last days, perilous times would come. Or other translations say, troublesome times, or times of great trouble that will be hard to bear. Then he goes on. He doesn't just scare us. He tells us exactly why there will be trouble in the earth. He says, because people or the people in the world will begin to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, that they'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be haughty. They'll be boastful. They'll be proud. They'll be disobedient to parents, right? Uh, they'll enter into all kinds of uh, things to bring pleasure to themselves. Well, all that selfishness just causes trouble. And so Paul is warning against that. And then he says, you know, you begin to realize, Timothy, speaking to Timothy, he said, you've watched my life. You've watched the persecution or the trouble that I've run into in different cities. But in observing that, you've also observed how the Lord has delivered me out of them all. Or we could say it like this. He's telling Timothy, you saw the Lord help me through every time of trouble. 
And then he went on to tell him, he said, you all, if you're going to decide to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to run into some trouble. So you're going to have to utilize the word of God, the word of God, and get it down in your heart for correction, for instruction, for guidance, for, for what? For help. For help. So the word of God will help us. And there's so many things that we can begin to look at in the word of God. But when I was thinking about people saying, you know, God help me, uh, and we've talked about this just a little bit leading up to this when we're talking about the blood of Jesus, but God help me. So many people just have this mindset that God is off in heaven somewhere. Even believers, even believers, if you know, when I, when I prayed Christ came to live in me in times of trouble, you're thinking God must be out there somewhere. He must be gone. Well, now, part of that is just the enemy deceiving us. God's in heaven somewhere, and so he needs to come down, see my situation, and help me. But some of it's propagated by our own mentality. In other words, we go places, we, we do things that we know are not acceptable to God, and so we just, in our own imagination, say, well, God's back at the church house. So, you know, whatever I do this week, I'll meet up with him on Sunday, tell him I'm sorry, get back to a new week. If you're a little more dedicated than that, you say, well, he's back at my prayer closet. I left him there this morning during prayer. That's an important time, but God's in my prayer closet. I left him there, so I'm about my day. And so whenever I decide to do something or mistakes, he's back at the church. I'll get back with him later. He's back at the prayer closet, but that's not how God looks at it. And so we get into a mindset, where is God when I need him? But he's always right there. He's always right there. So again, even if I say that and you're like, well, I know he's there, but if you've come on those times wondering, where are you, God? We just immediately begin to realize where that actual connection is in time of trouble. God, where are you when I need you? Well, God's right with us. He's right with us every single time. So it doesn't matter how much you know, how, much, how many times you've looked at that, if you've come to that point in time, or if you've heard somebody say that, so it's our time to be equipping you to help someone else with the work of ministry. And so God says, I'm, I'm always with you. And so we want to break this open. We want to begin to explore this and, and open up your ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you, saying to you. So I, as a pastor, you know, I observe this many times. People will, you know, they'll go through something and it doesn't seem like a big deal to them. And so they'll just start to wonder. Well, why are those people having such trouble with that? That's not even a big deal. Well, to them, it's a big deal. And then you'll enter into something that somebody else won't think is a big deal, but it's a big deal to you. And so all of a sudden, we see everybody's situation differently. But we want to be able to be a help to people in time of trouble. Amen? And so if we don't know where our help comes from, then we won't be able to help others. And sometimes we get to the point of thinking, we'll just help them. God's helped me. But if we even help them by the anointing, but we don't lead them to the helper, then we're going to end up in trouble. Because God really wants us to realize and understand that he is with us to help us. Amen. To help us. And we get all kinds of mindsets as to why God doesn't want to help us. You can know in your mind, God's here to help me, but when things go wrong and it doesn't seem to happen in our time, we're like, well, God must not be helping me because, because I've failed, because I've sinned, because I did something wrong, because I, 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 I yelled at my spouse today, whatever it might be, now you're struggling getting help. And so we want to look at that and see that God doesn't really look at this like you do. 
or like I do. And if we can see it how God sees it and realize he's an ever-present, somebody say ever-present. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. He's not off somewhere dealing with somebody else's problem when you have a problem. He's present. Wouldn't it be great if we were just always both present? That's why those habits, you know, that Alan talked about, getting up in the morning, just getting in his presence. Well, why is that important? Even if it's 10 or 15 minutes to start your day, why is that important? Because then about the middle of the day, you know how to say, oh, no, his presence is still here. He's ever present no matter what. So Josh, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. So he makes this emphatic statement that if you're going to do what God called you to do, this may be Joshua, but how many of you would like to do what God called you to do? Right? So if God calls you to do something, it's going to be a challenge. And people are going to say things and do things and circumstances are going to come that would try to stop you from doing this. But God declares, and he's no respecter of persons, he declares to Joshua, I, nobody, no person, you're going to do my will, no person can stand before you all the days of your life. I will be with you just like I was with Moses. I'll be with you just like I was the patri with patriarchs of old. I'll be with you just like I was with Jesus. I'll be with you just like I was with the apostle Paul. Paul, God is saying, I'll be with you wherever you go. Now listen to this. He says, uh, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people, you should divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm right here. So when we get to the point of saying, listen, God, where are you? It all, already, no matter what we know about our Christian life, being born again, the moment that comes to us to think, God, where are you when I need you? It lets us know we're not fully there yet. Because if we don't know, he is right here. He's right here. All the power of heaven is right here. It's not just in this room. It's right here. It's in you. It's in you. It's in you. What happens when trouble? Oh, I know that. But when trouble comes, we're like, God, where are you? I need some help. And we start looking in the wrong places. Like, is he going to come from here? Is he going to come from that person? Where is he going to come from? Where are you? And then when it doesn't happen like we think it's going to happen, we think God didn't show up. God didn't show up. Well, how could God not show up? I don't know. I guess he didn't care. I guess I've sinned too much. I guess I did something. No. The realization he just said, he didn't say, if you do everything perfect, I'll be with you. He said, I will never 
leave you. I will never forsake you. But he said, you're going to have to do something to realize that I'm with you. And if I'm with you, nobody can stop you from doing what you're doing. And that is get into my word and find out what I did. For Joshua, it was what Moses commanded. For us, even more so, it's what Jesus has said he did for our life, what he said about our life, what the apostle Paul and James and John have said, now that you're the church, look at what's available to you. Look at every promise. Look at the equipping of the spirit of God. Look at that. And you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to read it. You're going to have to meditate on it. Why are you going to have to do that? So you can be courageous when you stand in front of something. Well, how can I be courageous just by reading the word? Because you're going to meditate the word. You're not just going to read it. You're going to meditate on it. You're going to talk about it. You're going to talk about it to yourself. You're going to say, if this really is true, then that means this for me. And you're going to talk about it until this word that is actually life comes off of the page, sinks down in your heart. And now it's no longer words, but it becomes life. I'm not thinking about what I should do. It's life. It comes, becomes the reaction. It becomes the fiber of my being. Well, how does it do that? It's because I got born again, and the very Spirit of God came to dwell on the inside of me. And when I was born again, the very DNA of God became part of my DNA. But my mind wasn't renewed, so I start to absorb this living Word of God, which has the exact same DNA as the life that's in my spirit. And so once it goes into my ear gates and makes contact with my spirit, because I'm receiving and believing a supernatural reaction of the DNA of the Word and the life of the Spirit come alive in life to me. Not in my head, it starts to become my life. Why? Because it has exactly the same DNA. It begins to engraft itself, enfold itself together for my life. And when I start to read and know who God is, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that in them is, who the Holy Spirit is, he's the one that hovered over the face of the deep, that when God said, let there be light, the, the Holy Spirit executed and there was light. When he said, let the separate the lands, the Holy Spirit separated the lands. That the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me. The most power that has ever been exerted in all of the universe and the history of the, the, the universe in eternity, the most power was to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of you. Amen. Come on. It's right on the inside of you. And we can say that and you go, whoo, hallelujah. But when trouble comes, you're like, where's God? So, you know, I'm just reminded, again, some people just get tired of this, but it just seems good at this, this moment. You know, when our, our girls were little and Aladdin, the first Aladdin came out, I was sitting there watching with him. And, he, and he's saying, I just want, you know, Aladdin set me free. I don't want to be a genie. Aladdin said, well, why don't you want to be a genie anymore? And he blows up into this big, big blue genie. He goes, because all this cosmic power. He goes into the lamp and there's a squeaky voice. In this little itty bitty space. Itty bitty livid space. And I'm just watching this cartoon, you know, just laughing. And like right on the inside, it's like the spirit of God said, that's how Christians are. And they don't even know it. He said, all this creative power, all this dead-raising power, all this miracle power in this itty-bitty living space. And so, because we're like, it's, yeah, out there, I can see, look at, look at God, look at God. God could do something out there. But from here, from me, God dwelling in me, and so because that's so hard to comprehend, we keep throwing God out there somewhere. 
But when we throw God out there somewhere and we have a need, then we got to call him in. But he's not looking to be called in. He's looking to be called upon. Right? God, I need you to come here. No, he's looking to say, I know exactly where you are. And it's time for that intertwining of me and you. And that strengthening with mighty power to take on what I'm facing right now. I'm not looking for the power to come from the outside. I'm looking for the strength to come from within because that's where he resides. All right, you're having a little trouble with that. 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm. Praise the Lord. So I'm just pastoring you. I know this may seem redundant, and you may walk out of here and go, yeah, I've heard that before. Don't do that. Because if you've ever run into trouble and just thought, where is God? Why is this happening to me? When is this going to be over? Then we haven't fully grasped it yet. If you end up with victory over every strategy of the enemy, and you know it, even when you're going through the stuff, God's with me, we're just taking these steps. Praise the Lord. You can write a book, and I'll do the forward. But otherwise, I think we have problems saying, all right, I know that in my head, but when I'm faced with the circumstance, when people come against me, when challenges come against me, when there's symptoms in my body, I'm looking everywhere in the world to find out where my help's going to come from. And when we do that, and God's gracious, we'll get to that. When we do that, we're not quite yet fully grasping or understanding. So even probably in this series of messages, you'll just get a glimpse. But if we get one more glimpse on how to call, where to call from, where we're calling to. Praise the Lord. We'll make one step closer. And the enemy's going to be angry because he knows. I've got you looking while I'm, while I'm beating you over the head, while I'm stealing from you, while I'm destroying things of your life. You're looking for help out here, and your help is always ever so close. Amen. Psalms 23, he says, yeah, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Woo-hoo. Come on. He said, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, God. Everything around me is going wrong. Everything, I mean, just bad things are happening everywhere. Everything's going on. He said, listen, right there in that place, when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're wore out from your situation, I'm going to spread a table. We're not going off in private somewhere. I'm going to put a table right out in the presence of your enemy. I'm going to let your enemy know who's feeding you, who's sustaining you, who's doing for you, what needs to be done. We're going to do it right out in the open. I'm preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemy because I'm with you. Even through that valley of the shadow of death. He said, I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to empower you to walk through and come out the other side. Why? Because I'm right here with you. He said, I'm going to cause your cup to run over. When you're going through stuff and you feel empty, like you got nothing else to give, he said, I'm going to fill your cup to running over. Come on, it's not, I'm just telling you, just like the Apostle Paul, he said, listen, I'm telling you a truth. He said, not that I fully grasp it or have been perfected at it, but I'm continuing to move on and press towards God. I mean, just a number of years ago, we went through, I mean, just 
death after death after death. I mean, just slamming people who, who are close to me, people in the church. And, and I just got to a point, man. I was just trying to be a husband, a dad, losing people in the family close to you, uh, church members. You're trying to lead the church. You're leading everything for the first time in my life, really the only time in my life. I mean, I love what I do. I, I love the fact that I'm called. I got to a point, and I just said, you know, and really the enemy was whispering in my ear, you got nothing else to give. You've had so much loss happen. You've done so much. You got nothing left to give. I said, I think you're right. I might as well just quit. Well, thank God in that place, thank God he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Just from the inside, the Holy Ghost said, no, you're not going to quit. I said, well, then what are we going to do? He said, you're going to draw near to me, and I'm going to fill you up because that's my plan to fill you to overflowing with myself so that no matter what you encounter, you have something to give, that you'll never be caught empty. That's God's plan. He said, I'll cause your cup to run over, even in the presence of your enemy, even when people are drawing out, even when it seems like life is going out, there's more light coming in. That's why he didn't just say, get filled with the Spirit. He said, be being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because there's an in-source, inward source, but there should also be an outflow. There should also be an outflow. So, you know, a number of years ago, we uh, had a marriage uh, small group, and uh, it, it was on... Uh, his Needs, Her Needs. So when I started reading that book, His Needs, Her Needs, you know, I'd already read Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, all the differences. But, you know, when I read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, I got this impression that he was just teaching me how to uh, uh, get to my wife to get what I needed, what I wanted. So I thought, this seems a little selfish. It's good revelation, seems a little selfish. So I got his needs, her needs. He started talking about uh, uh, meeting the needs of, of your spouse. And again, it came a little bit to that point of, you know, he was talking about deposits and withdrawals. So he said, you need to find out their need and you need to deposit if you're going to withdraw. So I thought, well, that sounds, sounds good. I mean, makes sense to me. And so, you know, I started depositing, found out when I went back to make a withdrawal, it didn't seem like there was as much in there as I thought I put in. <laughs> thought, man, I put in a pretty good day of loving and serving and, and mowing the lawn and taking her out to dinner, and then I just, you know, asked for something, and she doesn't have time. Somebody stole my money. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I did kind of an unscientific study. Thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extra try to figure out and give a little bit more and then try to get something out. Seemed like it was always a little bit less, like there were surcharges or something that were being... <laughs> put on my deposit. So I just went and asked God. I said, what's the deal here? It seems like a right principle, but something's wrong. And it was just like on the inside. He said, well, you're depositing, but your two daughters are withdrawing. <laughs> oh, dirty dogs. <laughs> he said, well, not only that. He said, you could probably handle that. He said, but then even the church members are withdrawing. Situations of life are withdrawn. That angry clerk at the grocery store the other day, she took out a bunch. So I said, well, that doesn't seem fair at all. It's one thing you'll find out. God never said it was fair. He just says it's right. 
So he said, what I want you to do, if you're going to do your experiment, what I want you to do is I want you to work at putting enough in her so that she can do what I called her to do. And no matter who takes out, there's still enough to withdraw. I said, well, that still seems kind of unfair. <laughs> then it just, he impressed me. He said, well, that's what I do for you. That's what I do for you. He said, I just keep pouring life into you. Even though there's all these situations and circumstances that are trying to draw out or that you're giving out, my goal is to pour into you so that you are always filled with the fullness of who I am. Always filled. So he says here in the 23rd Psalm, it doesn't even matter if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's with you. He prepares a table because he knows you need sustenance to get through that valley of the shadow of death. He anoints you with strength, and he causes your cup to run over. So even though it's in, you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you have more life to give. Amen. That's how he'll help us. All right, Romans chapter 8. We'll see. We'll hit one here that will really spark your, your interest. Glory to God. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, this is from the Message Bible. I like it from the Message Bible. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Imagine that. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same, lives, along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end. Come on, he didn't go anywhere. He said he'd stay with you to the end. Gloriously completing what he had begun. So listen, God hadn't left you because he's not finished with you yet. He hasn't left you. He's right there. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son? Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? He said, if I gave Jesus for you, what makes you think I won't show up and help you with whatever you need help with to become everything I redeemed you to be? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. He said, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Instead of saying, God, where are you? Can you help me right now? We boldly say, he is my helper. Why can I boldly say that? Because he said he'd never leave me. Now, we read this in the English, and we're just like, okay, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. But they, uh, all the writers say, listen, the words used here are so emphatic that it more literally would say, if we were going to read it, that he said, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. 
and I will never, ever, 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 ever forsake you. So you can boldly say, the Lord's my helper. I won't be afraid. Now, if you notice in all these things, he said something's coming against people and they're afraid. They're intimidated. They draw back. He said, you don't have to do that because I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. So we see, we see God in the Old Testament, just briefly, God in the Old Testament, he came, he helped Moses deliver the people out of Israel. I mean, he helped him in every way, gave him his rod so that he'd have that in his hand. But he didn't do it for Moses. Moses went out to do, and God helped him. We, say, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up for God, boldly stood up to, to praise God, not bow down to an idol. And they got thrown in the fiery furnace, and they weren't in there alone. He came right alongside to help them get through the fiery furnace without even smelling like smoke. Then we see, you know, Elisha, he had been prophesying. He, he, he had been telling, he, he made a king unhappy. And so the Syrians came and surrounded them in the army, and his servant went out. And so all the enemy's armies, and he's like, he comes back to his master, Elisha, and he says, what are we going to do? They're surrounding us. We're, we're in big trouble right now. Uh, the Syrians are, are encamped all around us. And he said, we don't have a problem here. And the, uh, you know, the um, servant said, what do you mean we don't have a problem? We're surrounded. Me, you, the armies of the Syrians, looks like the odds aren't that good. And so Elisha prayed. He said, open his eyes that he could see. And so the servant stepped out. He said, no, you're right. We don't have a problem. He saw all the chariots of fires and armies of God. He said, we have some help. There's more that be for us than be against us. And God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So we see God always helped his people in those times of trouble when they were aware that he was there. Amen. And so Jesus was the same. Jesus comes to help us in our time of trouble. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples here. Jesus really, he wants to help people who are confused. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40, says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. You say, well, that doesn't sound like he's doing anything for the confused. He just healed that guy. No, you got to go back and look at the man who came to him. He was confused. He was confused. History had told him that God didn't care about him, that he needed to live somewhere else apart from everyone else because he was a leper. He was unacceptable. And so he saw Jesus doing all these things and healing everybody, and so he was confused. He knew that Jesus had the power to do it. He just didn't know if God was willing. He had the power, but he wasn't willing. So, you know, as a parent, you know, I look at that, and if, if my daughters needed help, they needed healing, they needed something, and I could do it for them, I would just do it if I was able. My situation is normally I'm not able, but I'm certainly willing if I had the resources, if I had the, the, I would do it. But if they came to me knowing I could do it and said, Dad, I don't think you want to, man, that would just be like, what? And so that's this, this person came with that confusion. I know you can, but I don't know if you want to. So Jesus helped clear that up right away. How do you help clear that up? He said, I know that society has set you aside, but I've never forgot about you. And he healed him right on the moment. He was cleansed. 
just that moment. So Jesus, he always wants to help us where we're confused, where culture or religion has told us he doesn't care. He might not do it for you. You might, not, you might have messed up too much, and you might say, well, I know God could, but I don't know if he wants to do it for me. He'll, he'll help you with your confusion right off the bat. He wants to help the hopeless, the hopeless. Listen to this, John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, now there is in Jerusalem a, a sheep gate, uh, by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at, the, at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then when whoever stepped over, stepped in first, excuse me, after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now listen, if you're not confused, your answer is simply yes. Yes. But his experience had begun to overwhelm him. His experience. Sometimes our experience in life makes us think that God doesn't care. We begin to be hopeless. This gentleman, all he needed to do was say yes. But his experience of life said something different. He said, listen, the angel comes down, and I, even, I just start to move. I just start to think about getting to the pool, and somebody gets there first. There's nobody to put me in. Nobody loves me. Nobody hates me. My circumstances are such, if I don't have anybody to put me in, can't get there fast enough, people are always quicker than me, there's no way I'm ever going to get healed. He was hopeless. Jesus said, let me help you with that hopelessness. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. See, when we know Jesus is right there, he's always asking us according to his word. Do you want to get better? Do you want to get stronger? Do you want to do that? What is it that you need? Do you want your marriage healed? Do you want your body healed? And we always like, well, not my marriage. You have to understand. He's an idiot. You have to understand. She does, she's, just in, she's just trying to be in control of everything. She's just, and instead of saying, yes, I want my marriage healed, we got all the excuses why it'll never be healed, and we'll have to go to divorce. Unless somebody does something. But he says, I'm right here. I'm right here. I want to step right in the middle and say, listen, come on, get up. We're going to make this right. Well, you don't know what's happened in my body. Well, we have people over and over. That woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, wasn't getting better, but got worse. But you know what? She had hope. She said, if I could just get to Jesus. Praise the Lord. She had to go through a whole mess of people and situations to get to Jesus because he was walking away from her. We don't even have that situation. He's not walking away from us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We have time. We'll go into this. He always helps the outcast. He always helps the broken. He even helps the doubting. We got to the point of, well, I don't have enough faith, so maybe he won't do anything. Man, you should see how many times Jesus helped people who are doubting. He didn't say, well, you're doubting. I'm not going to do nothing. He said, I'm going to help you get believing. He's a helper. He's a helper. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going we're gonna to just launch into this a little bit. I believe it's going to be a great help to us. It's going to be a great help to us. Amen. So we know exactly where our help comes from. 
We're not looking outside. We're not hoping somebody comes. I mean, we'll gather around one another. We'll, we'll help one another in different things. But really, when that first place we look at and we see, you know what? All that power is on the inside of me. I just need to know where to call, not yell out here somewhere, help! It's like, why are you yelling? I'm right here. Psalms 21, verse 1. Why don't you stand up? This is Passion Translation. It says, I look up to the mountains and the hills longing for God's help. In other words, I'm looking to the creation. I'm like, God help me. He said, but then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord. Our creator who made heaven, the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget or ignore me. Ooh, that's a pretty good promise. Pretty good promise. So we saw God helped in the Old Testament. We're looking at right now Jesus helping in the New Testament. But where we're going to get is, what about us? And so Jesus said this to his disciples in John the 14th chapter. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, as we fall in a relationship of this depth of knowing together, he said, and you decide to do things the way that I have instructed, the way I do things. He said, I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He said, when you're going to live life the way I told you to, you're going to need some help. And I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm going to send you another helper. One of the reasons we're going through how Jesus helped people is because we think Jesus just went around and did stuff. But what he did was to help people, to help people. So sometimes we think, well, he's not going to help me because. We're going to show you the people that he helped even because. They may have not been worthy of help, but he helped them. So if we can get confidence, you know what? He wants to help me. I've made mistakes, but he wants to help me get over it. I've sinned, but he wants to forgive me to move me on. I've messed up my marriage, but he wants to restore it. He's done some things. He wants to help us. He doesn't want to reject us. He wants to help us. But our mindset is he's off there somewhere. He's forsaken me because I've forsaken him. I'm a mess. I've left him. But when we see him come and help all these people, then he said, I might have gone. But I'm coming to live in you by my spirit. I'm going to send you another helper, which means another of the exact same kind. So if Jesus helped people with all their circumstances, we have the helper living on the inside. Praise the Lord to help us. To help us. Man, I'll tell you, if we get a hold of it, we even get a greater glimpse. The enemy's in trouble. Amen. The enemy's in trouble. Amen. We call upon him, our helper. Man, he'll start to guide you. He'll guide you in your business. I need help. I need help with my business. He's smarter at business than anybody. I need help knowing what my, my relationship is or, or, or my ministry, it seems like. He, he knows exactly what he called you to. I need help with my kids. They're getting to be teenagers. Well, he's been a teenager before, and he's watched a lot of that. But he'll just do it. He'll, he'll do it in you, and he'll do it through you the helper. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. We thank you 